Welcome to the Wealth Radar podcast, where we scan the landscape and navigate the noise of investing and personal wealth. I'm Jason Fowler, and I'm joined by my brother, Paul. We are certified financial planners from Fowler's Group, and in this episode, the second of our retirement series, we'll discuss the perennial question, how much do I need to retire? Yes, and uh, isn't it a question everyone asks? All the Um, time. Um, when, certainly when they're approaching retirement. But first of all, can I just say before we get into it is that for people listening, everyone is different. And that's the, that's the big thing that we'll probably touch on through this because one size doesn't fit fit all basic. And I think it's a bit of a misconception that, that we should know what that number is. Yeah, I um, think that's a biggie because... For, for, as an advisor. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about some bands and some different things, but at the end of the day, as you said, I you know, the way I spend on the lifestyle that I want is going to be very yep. different to you and very different to every client we talk to. Yeah, and I think a lot of the, the media, everyone and or, or even the public focal, focus on the capital number, how much how much do you need, which is which is normal. You, you know, you Google how much do you need. There's there's books out there. I think there's one called The Number. Yep. Um, how how much, much is, is enough? enough. Yeah. Um, it's in the press. There's, there's plenty of magazines. There's actually an article that that you've just picked up, I think we'll d- discuss and run through that sort of talks about this, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the, the one thing when, when people ask us that question, they're always thinking, what is my balance got to be? But for us, as we spoke about, you know, for those of you listened to series one of the retirement question, um, and if you haven't, you should go back and listen to it. One of the things that um, we like to think about in retirement or the concept of retirement is you don't retire from work, you retire mm. to something else and you've got to understand what that means for you um, and we talked a lot about that in the last episode but in reality and, and keeping in mind that retirement's probably a third of your life correct it is so it's, a, it's a long time that statistically this today statistically that's yeah it. it's uh, it's gone way up like when the i think we touched on it last time when the age pension was first introduced you know most people didn't even make age um life expectancy didn't even get you to the age pension age yeah <laughs> that's right and and now we're going to spend a lot of time in retirement and we talk a lot about um, society now talks of like wealth, uh, health and well-being and balance and and a lot of people want to get to a point where they can enjoy the fruits of their labour and for a lot of people that's what retirement's about. Um, and so as we said in the last episode, it's about understanding what that mm. is for you. But this episode we're going to talk about what that what that means. And yep. for us, um, we don't talk about the capital. Most of these, arg- uh, these articles, this one from ABC that I picked up, uh, a couple of, I think it was a month or so ago, on a on a news feed that talked about um, some targets that Super Consumer Australia had said, you know, raised it from basically eighty eight thousand dollars in your super by retirement age if um, if you you know want a really low level of income and it relies on the age pension and we'll talk about that a bit more up to potentially seven hundred thousand uh, in super. There was an article, I think, the cover of July Money magazine that said you only need two hundred and fifty thousand in super. Mm. To be able to retire, but yeah, but you got there's a lot of assumptions in that oh, as, as well, isn't there? So, so that's a number, but you know what is is, is that money running out? So, so you're living a, a comfortable life for the first five years of retirement, and then does that cut down to near nothing for the rest of your life, or do you want to leave money for your kids? Yeah, um, are you leaving anything left or not? So, it, there's all these variables and assumptions you can make. You can come up with any number, um, but I think what's important, what we always say, it's really what what's important to you and then figure out what that what that number is at the end of that but it's all about to us it's all about the income yeah absolutely for us all of our planning and all that of our discussions with clients is how much money do you need to live the life that you're retiring to yeah i had a um 
just went on a fishing trip actually a couple yeah. of, couple of weeks ago with a, a good mate, and we're heading back, and we cleaned up on the fish too. By the way, yeah, I didn't. None of them made it to my freezer. <laughs> They're there, mate. You got to come out and visit every now and then. Um, but anyway, as we're, we're talking back, uh, coming back, um, he just asked me about the podcast and what we're doing, and um, I said, yeah, we got a question through where someone had asked how much is enough, and he said, yeah, you know what? How, what is that? What is that? And I said, mate, look, let's take it back. Let's. I'll tell you how we do it. Um, and I said, we don't focus on that, the capital number. It's really, righto, we're, if you could retire now, what, what income would you want to leave a comfortable lifestyle? And come up, figure out what that number is. Um, and if you don't know, generally it is whatever you're earning before you retired is probably the easiest way to adjust that. And then I told him, well, what assets have you got now? And what income are they producing? Whether it's you know, you've got an investment property, most people have that, or is it commercial property, you've obviously got super or, or any other type of investment, put it all in this bucket in the bin together and you will have an understanding of what, how much that, that income is going to produce. And if that income's not enough for you, then there's something you need to do between now and retirement to, to live the lifestyle you want to live. But it's really getting an understanding of what, that, what you've created now and what that number's going to be. And if it's going to be okay, then you're sweet. But if it's not, then you've got to start thinking about doing something. And the capital number sort of takes care of itself after that. Yeah, absolutely. We, in our planning, and I think we may have touched on it in a previous um, episode, we, we talk about the bucket principle, which is exactly what you're saying. Pooling all of the assets that you've got that have the capacity to produce income. So your house doesn't count, your cars no. don't count. Put that in and then see what income comes out. And the idea of the bucket principle being that I don't know how long we're going to live. Right, as I said to a client just recently, if you could tell me exactly the day you're going to die and exactly what your spending patterns are going to be, and I don't care if you spend a bit more for the next couple of years and then it goes down, then the mass is easy. But there's huge amounts of variables, as we've said, in all mm. of that. And from our planning, for for us, chatting with clients, it's all about having flexibility. Yep. And if we can work on the basis that there's sufficient assets and this is not achievable for everybody but if we aim for it we've got more flexibility than if we don't and and as i say to people if we don't quite get there we're still better off than you know having tried because it's given us some flexibility and hopefully that pool of assets will produce the level of income index to inflation that you need for as long as you need to spend it and and if it does that then yes there's money to be left behind i mean i'm not a massive you know believer in there must be capital left for the next generation but chances are there will be but as long as there's enough money for our clients ultimately when I get there myself and Sue and whatever to live the life we want then that's good and it's more for me about understanding the importance of that income stream I mean dad dad uses a saying really simple saying that I think is is great when he talks to people and they say well you know I only spend this much or that much and you know and dad says well if you think about your spending pattern forget the loan repayments every day stuff but what you actually spend when you go to your wallet or you tap your card regularly do you spend more money on a monday through friday when you're at work or on a saturday and sunday when you've got some more time free to do some stuff and choice and most people go i oh, know probably realistically it's more on saturdays and sundays yep and retirement or financial independence whatever you call it is a whole lot of saturdays yep, and sundays it's seven of them yeah or well, four one and three the other yeah <laughs> but the, and i think the other thing for people what well i think this is human nature we get hooked up in because we always want. We always seem to want what others have. Correct. And we the think we, wor- we worry about that, what, rather than worrying about our own backyard. I mean, you, we always we always got mates. We listen to what they're doing and how much they've got. We got those. We've got work colleagues that are doing things different. You go down the golf club there, or hey, we're doing this, and you, you feel as though you're you're missing out. But that doesn't really. None of that matters. No. Because all that 
because you don't know what they've got going on in the background. Correct. And that could be something completely different. So it's, I think the other focus is just worry about you, worry about your own backyard. You can't, you can't count the money in other people's pockets. No. Just worry, worry about yours. And I think that's a, a big thing to understand. You've sort of got to take away, take out that noise because what's good for someone else might be good for someone else, but it has, might have no um, bearing on what's good for you. Absolutely correct. And I think it's the biggest challenge that we have um, in talking to people is nobody's actually – some people have got a sense of what they spend today, but they've never really sat down and looked at it. And every time somebody goes and takes some time to actually analyse what's going out, I haven't yet had a client go, oh, that's a lot less than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> right? And so it's a matter of planning. Everything that we do is a matter of planning. And if we can get a sense of that early and then start planning for that and then start planning for what that consumption needs is, it's also – the beauty of that, not only do we have something that's realistic, relevant and targeted for what people want to do, but we can start to really build reliable portfolios to do that, mm. right? Because it's actually quite important um, when you're building a retirement for income draw that you actually plan for those income draws. All right? and, and so one of the things that, that we've done for a long time, um, and it was solidified through the GFC many years ago, was making sure that the next three to five years worth of consumption is in less volatile assets, you know, what we would call the fixed income, the defensive yep. part of the portfolio. It's not that they don't move around, but they're less volatile so that we can actually start planning and have comfort through that cycle that when investment cycles come and markets go down like they did in the first six months of this year or they did when COVID happened or they did in the GFC so and there's GFC, littered, yep. life's littered with them, that if we are spending our cash flow, so we're using the income to spend that comes from the investments to do it. And then after that, we're doing defensives. We've actually got some time before we've got to rebalance portfolios to minimise the draw if we're selling at the wrong spot. Right. And that's that's thought. That's just planning. That's just yep. another part of planning. And yep. that's what helps over a long period of time. And I think the other thing to, to consider that, that runs along the lines exactly what you're saying, Jason, is that um, the thought is that you've, you've created all this money. We'll just use superannuation, for example, because that's most people's retirement funds are a bulk of it. Um, where you get to retirement and all of a sudden you have to change the way that you've invested the money considering all of a sudden you have to become yep. ultra con conservative because you don't want to lose the money, right? Um, but in reality, once you hit age 60 or 65, say when you retire, and if we use those age brackets, let's assume you're going to live the yep. life expectancy and pass, yet that money that you've got there to, is going to be invested for at least another 20, maybe maybe 30 years. So you're your retirement life from an investment point of view is just as long as the investment point of view in your lead up to retirement. So the portfolio still needs to be invested, maybe not quite as aggressive, but it still needs to have to, a fair exposure to assets that are going to grow over time, not all sitting in cash. And that and that's pretty important. Absolutely. And that's part of this. We touched on that in the, uh, the Super podcast that we did, that if you plan correctly and you understand what your consumption needs are mm. and you manage your capital, whatever that number is, to meet that consumption needs, chances are you don't actually need to change your asset allocation. The only reason you should need to change your asset allocation in post-accumulation phase is because your consumption needs are significantly different than what you expected them to be. Yep. And that will normally only happen if you didn't plan properly in the first place. Yep. Yep. And so part of the whole thing, how much is enough or, or whatever, the closer we get to the point at which we are using work as, an, as something we want to do to fill our day, not because we need the income, or the, you know, financial independence as you know, we refer to it here, 
the closer we get to that, the more clarity of what we got about what that consumption need is of our capital base, the more smooth, the less fiddling, the much more reliable mm. our investment experience will be through retirement. Well, let's 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 go through a, through an example there. I know you've got one there in front of you of a. This is an actual client experience from our point of view. That someone that's created some wealth, um, went into retirement, into pension phase, started drawing down from their asset base, but kept that kept that mix of growth versus defensive. Not not ultra aggressive, not ultra conservative, but certainly not having it all in the bank. You've got I don't have the numbers there, Jason. Yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've got it from us. This, this is a client, and this is an, also an interesting example of what we talked about last week about having something to retire to rather than yep. from. So this this gentleman was a business owner, um, and so in April of two thousand and three, uh, he basically went into drawdown phase on his superannuation assets. And at that point, his the portfolio value that was funding that income stream that we started was $665,000, give or take, 100 bucks. And he is still drawing down on that portfolio today. Now, this is just his account. His wife had an account as well, which is important when we talk about some stuff later in the episode. Um, now, he retired from work and then realised that he actually needed to go back a couple of days a week. He had a business, still had an interest in the business and went back. So he was still doing a little bit of work on the side. So in those first couple of years, he was supplementing a little bit of his income by, by working. Yep. And But he was putting most of that income that he was generating back into super, right? So he was it, actually sacrificing from that because from a tax point of view, it made sense. Can I just cut in for a, for a second because this might relate to our yep. episode, the last one that, that dropped. Did he did he go back to work? He went, He retired, right? For a couple of years, then went back to work. Did he go back to work because he didn't really know what he wanted to do? Like, what was that? What was the reasoning, or was it? Was it simply because he, he just wanted to to get back into it, get his mind he doing something, enjoyed, or he just realized didn't that really he actually, know what he, well, he wanted to do in retirement? How well, look, that? I mean, no, he, had, he had lots of stuff that he wanted to do in retirement, but he yeah. realized that he actually, at that point, there was some. He actually enjoyed being at work a few days a yeah. week rather than all the other stuff that he planned to do. Um, and it was a way to keep his mind active and and all that sort of stuff. Plus, yeah. it was he wanted the business to continue. Um, to, to run for a period of time and yep. succeed. So the, the, the reason I say that is that at a, a, a point along the way, about half a dozen years in, he actually fully stopped work and was able to transfer about another $190,000 into his account from super that he'd accumulated over that period of time. Today, which is a bit over 19 years down the track, he his account balance today is about hundred and Twenty thousand dollars more than it was nineteen and a bit years ago when he started. So what he started six six hundred and sixty five. He's about uh, seven eighty three. Yep. Right. And remember, he threw in about one hundred and ninety about yep. six okay. years in. So about one hundred. He's one hundred and twenty in front. So pretty much all of that. But over that nineteen and a bit years, he's taken a bit over a one million and thirty thousand dollars <laughs> out of the account. Right. An average of about fifty three and a half thousand dollars a year. So it was a, in the first half a dozen years, it was a little bit. Less, but it's been really consistent. Yep. Now, he has been through uh, a GFC, COVID, what happened at the beginning of the years, and many things along the way where that portfolio has gone up and down. And in fact, when the GFC hit, his portfolio fell to about 60-odd thousand dollars below what he had started with. Right, so it you know had it gone back, you know, which is six years, seven years on, like his portfolio was yeah. back below where he'd started. But the, the beauty for this gentleman and, and, and his wife as well along that way is that his asset allocation has never changed. Yep. His consumption has been relatively consistent through the whole period of time. It's incremented up as expenses have gone up, 
Um, as I said, there was a couple of years earlier where it was maybe 60 or 70% of what it is today, but it, it's basically right. And he's just consistently drawn that income. He's, he, he knew what his income needs were. We planned for that and his asset allocation has been able to be maintained through time and he's ridden all of those rough patches and, and, out. And just to reiterate, probably a couple of things that, that, that you've put there is that from an investment, and we speak about this all the time in other episodes, when that market did craft 57% yep. or whatever it dropped, he basically stuck to the game plan. Absolutely. Because if he didn't stick to the game plan, the numbers that we're talking about that he would achieved never wouldn't, would not even close. So that's number one. And number two, he had the portfolio that when it did drop 57%, or maybe his portfolio not yeah, quite that far. Yeah, didn't go far, but, but the equities did. But yeah. the equities did, that he was actually drawing his income from an asset class that wasn't dropping. Correct. And that's really important. Is that the structure is so important once you, once you get and, into it. And what that well. enabled us to happen is through the GFC is that we were able to wait 18 months, 20 months before we had to do some sort of rebalancing. Yes, the portfolio got a little out of skew in that period of time, but we didn't have to panic because we had managed for his cash flow needs and his consumptions, which stayed consistent. And the beauty of that whole period for him was because, even though his portfolio was going down, we didn't have to have a discussion about you need to spend less money. Mm. Right, So he was able to do that and then by the time we were doing rebalancing 18, 19 months down the track, the portfolio had come off its bottom. Right, It still wasn't back where it needed. It took a long time for it to get back to where it was prior yeah. to the GFC but we're able to minimise the impact of those market shocks by just managing the cash yeah. flow. Beautiful. So the actual critical numbers he put in about 750, I'm just going to say 750, yeah, my math's not be right. Yeah, but overall. He's put in 750. 850 it was. 850. Overall. He's drawn out over a million and he's got, and 780, he's got 780 left. left. Well, I've got another example here. This is a bit off the, yep. the, the topic, but um, while we're talking about the GFC, because we have a, um, we had another client experience where um, just before the, the GFC hit or it started to fall, they, they actually couldn't yep. hold out and stick to the game plan. But they weren't fully out. They sort of had a foot in each camp. So what they did is they split their portfolio and kept one invested as it, as it had been and then the other half they – they put to cash. Yep. Um, and both accounts started with around, oh, say, six or $700,000. That's in December 2007. The portfolio um, that went to cash at the end of December 2021, so this is, we did this at yeah. the back end of last year, has now got to tick over 200000 in it because mm -hmm. he's put it in cash and, and just hasn't reinvested it because, yep. and then the other account um, has just over a million dollars. The account that sat there and did nothing. So that's that's just an important note. I know that we're talking about the income, what you need in retirement, but the income can uh, dissipate quite quickly if you don't do other things correctly whilst you're there. That's correct. And I yeah. think it comes back to the, the start of this. How much do you need? The answer is it depends. It depends on you. <laughs> it depends on your consumption. But if you plan for it and you manage for it, and that becomes consistent because you've actually thought about it properly, then portfolio construction done well you can take the stress away and those portfolios that stay in will always be able to maintain that cost of living benefit because they've been factored in to do that but if you go to cash if you panic not only do you deplete your capital base your chances of that capital base then recovering mm. the income capacity in needs to draw is just about impossible yeah because it just can't keep up with the cost of living let alone you know what's happening in markets could i just go back to this article jason yep. that, that we, from the abc i think it is um, because the, the listeners probably do want, even though we said that we're not going to give you a number, but they do want to hear something. So this yep. article says to live a comfortable um, lifestyle in retirement. Now, they're assuming everyone has the same 
um, level of comfort in yes, retirement. Correct. They're talking about, um, well, let me look here, about $740,000, $745,000. Yep. For that's a couple. It. Yep. No, that's by yourself. A couple's um, oh, a million sorry, dollars. A, a, a couple's a million dollars. Yep. Sorry, I've read yep. the wrong one there. Yeah, so, so a million saying, dollars for a couple. Yep. No, this is to, that's to live on a, a, a high, high income. income. Sorry, it is too. Yep. So the, the comfortable one, they're saying a comfortable one's around the... Um, about four hundred, yeah, about four hundred thousand dollars yeah. as a couple, and that's interesting, so, Paul, with that number. Like I think about because they say a high income in this is twenty five is fifty five thousand dollars a mm. year as an individual, right? And that example I had before, the client drew about fifty three and a half thousand dollars over that twenty year period. They're saying you need seven hundred and forty five. He started with about six hundred and sixty five, but that's twenty years ago almost, right? Yes. So I would think that that number's slightly on the low side in relative terms but the reason that that number is only 745 is because it's assuming that as you go through your consumption the the government through the age pension will pick up a safety net right which is one of the beauties of our world and for Australians Australians do have a big safety net that is the age pension yep right and they say if you only want whatever they use as a couple here uh, $42,000 as a couple if you're currently retired or $111,000. So, yeah, if you want $42,000 in income as a couple or um, as a single $29,000, then you need bugger all in super, need right? Be- because, because the pension's basically picking up 90% of that load and the pension will fund that indexed with cost of living for a period of time. The problem with that, that's a great safety net, the problem with that is zero flexibility. And most people that we talk to who are conscious about thinking about where they want to be, have time on their side to do it, want flexibility. But right. And the other thing that relates to all that worries about is income. Correct. So you're setting yourself a base income, that's it. If you decide you want to buy a boat or take your kids overseas or go overseas, there's no access to, to actually no. lump sum capital to be able to do other things and that's... There's that's no got to be factoring. Yeah, yeah, zero flexibility. So it's just income, income, income. And to an extent, you're relying on the government to keep, well, to keep paying of, you as it is. Of that, a base, almost 100% of your, your lifestyle is coming from the age pension, which is just income and guaranteed, right? Because yep. if you're Australian resident, you're going to get it as long as you... And if you've only got $100,000 in super, you're going to get the full value of the pension. And so from a planning point of view, we always have that in the background as a safety net. And it's also, interestingly, another reason why people shouldn't panic about the movement of their capital once they retire because this safety net is actually there, Mm. right? So if things go really badly at some point, and if planned well, they won't, but at some point if they go down, the Centrelink pension will, the age pension will kick in if your assets get below as a couple about 990 grand now. There's there's a couple of bucks that will come in or there's a healthcare card that will help with some, and so your consumption needs will come down because it'll get supplemented elsewhere. But the flip side of that is that once it goes back up, it goes off again, right? And most clients don't want to be dealing with the in and out of Centrelink, right? We we do it and we help people in it, but it's complicated. um, One of the other, Mandy was just talking with a client in the last couple of weeks about, you know, they've got a bit of a health scare going on and their portfolios in the last six months had come down a bit and they were technically back in the range of just about being in Centrelink by about 10 grand. But a simple, quick portfolio mm. movement, which has happened in the last month, and suddenly they're back out again, right? Yep. And so the beauty, the comfort for them is that if something were to happen, yes, that incrementally drops in and it gives you a safety net, which is what it's designed to be, but there's a lot less flexibility. And they didn't want to start moving stuff around. There was a couple of things we could have done. Um, they had a couple of expenses coming up that if they'd done, that would have got them in. 
But suddenly they've got no cash, they've got no flexibility, and they went, no, we'll just yep. ride this out because yep. that's where we prefer to be. So I think the, the end result now, we're not going to come up with an exact answer for you for the question that was um, set in, one that everyone asked, but the article here says it needs somewhere between, say, 640 or 750,000. Yeah. Our view is probably something more. If you, if you don't want to rely on the government, you probably want to be looking at some, something like double that, but it could be a, a vast range. But my belief, it's certainly something a lot more than, than yeah, this I agree. particular article suggests. Anyway. And if you want to live, as we talked about in the last podcast, if you get to that stage of utopia, or what did the, the Japanese, Ikigai? Ikigai. You learned that last episode, I did. didn't you? It was fantastic. So if you want to live in the phase of Ikigai, then generally you want flexibility. If you want flexibility, you probably need significantly more than the 250, 500, 750, depending on whichever level of income that you want. And for most of our clients, realistically, as a couple in retirement to have some level of flexibility, knowing that the age pension will come if we go through it relatively quickly, yeah, I agree. It's in that mm. vicinity of million and a half, but that's working on around about 70 grand, you know, 65 to 70 grand a year, right? There's still, that's not a huge income, no. but the beauty of that is that will last that long and, you know, for a long period of time. But if you want a thousand bucks, um, a week each or you want 100 grand, then the number just keeps ramping up, right? But for us, it comes back to what's that income consumption number yep. and we can plan backwards from that. And I think that's the smartest thing. If people spend more time worrying about the income and when markets are going, you know, to hell in a handbasket for a saying, mm. as long as that income is consistent, then we don't really have to worry about the capital movements because the capital movements will be capital movements yep. and the portfolio is structured well, particularly... Um, from all the stuff that we learnt from Peter, if we hit those starting five from his episode, then we'll get through as long as we got the consumption number correct. Yeah, and I think it's important for, for people looking to retirement or, or working their way towards it is to actually try and get an understanding of maybe what the assets they've got, what income that may be producing at this point in time and get an understanding whether that's going to be appropriate for them or not, not appropriate for the neighbour, no. not appropriate for your brother or your sister, but appropriate for, for yourself and then a couple of things that they can look at doing um, leading into retirement. These are things I always use to tell people is the sooner you start, the better if you've got to oh, do extra. In most cases, people have to do something extra than what they're doing now. Yep. So start. That's yep. the hardest part. Um, and maximise things like the super contributions. Now it's 27500 but we have this, this rule in now the government where you can um, top up the, the buckets if you haven't um, utilised that... Um, yeah, if you're balancing contribution is- limit over the last three years, it's going to be a five-year rolling period. You can actually top up those previous year's buckets and get a tax deduction before it, which is an advantage. Yeah, particularly if your balances are low. So I think that cuts out once you get half a million dollars in your super account. But particularly for for a lot of clients that we deal with, um, particularly where they've got they've had kids or got young kids, and one of the partners in the relationship maybe not hasn't worked through that whole period, so maybe there's an imbalance in super. That's an opportunity to top that up because I think it's important that you look at it not from an individual point of view, but for most of our point of view um, as a couple and get that number right. Okay, so I hope that's been um, uh, helpful to, to a lot of listen us there. We apologise for the for the Japanese. We're, we're certainly not Japanese. We don't have any Japanese heritage with the Ikigai comment, although I did get a, um, a VHA in grade eight Japanese. Very uh, well just done. Just to, to let you know. Um, but thanks for listening. Um, as always, head to our Wealth, Wealth Radar Facebook page. Let us know your thoughts on today's chat. Uh, maybe suggest some topics that you'd like us to dus- discuss in the future. We've had a few questions come in over the last week or so, so we'll we'll uh, be answering those in the in the podcast coming up. 
Um, but please make sure you like the page and uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks very much. We'll chat to you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only and the information contained is of a general nature and may not be relevant to your particular circumstances. The circumstances of each investor are different and you should seek advice from a professional financial advisor who can consider if particular strategies and products are right for you. In all instances where information is based on historical performance, it is important to understand this is not a reliable indicator of future performance. You should not rely on any material on this podcast to make investment decisions and should seek professional advice. Fowler's Group ABN 5710524484 is an authorised representative number 230575 and credit representative number 403265 of FYG Planners Propriety Limited ABN 55094972540 Australian Financial Services and Credit Licence Number 224543